Less than a month ago, Max Verstappen said he had no idea how many races it would take to catch Charles Leclerc in the championship. The answer was three, as he took victory today, six years on from his debut win for Red Bull. Welcome back to the Grid Talk podcast. This is episode 197, where we will review the Spanish Grand Prix at Circuit de Catalunya. I'm your host, Tom Horrocks, and I'm joined today by Five Red Lights host, Aaron Harper. Hello. And both from Everything F1, we have Tom Downey. Hello. And Sophia Richmond. Hi. Welcome everyone to the show and welcome our audience to this episode of Grid Talk. We are available on all major audio podcasting platforms and if you could please leave us a five-star review if you'd like to be generous. You can do this on, on either Spotify or on Apple Podcasts and it really helps us climb the, uh, climb the rankings of podcasting. If you enjoyed these podcasts but you want more, you can subscribe to us on YouTube and click the bell to be notified when we go live. We have well over 500 subscribers now and we have loads of video content including articles and shorts for you to get your teeth into. Give us a thumbs up, subscribe, share and comment as we love hearing from you. And any questions you ask us during the live stream, we will attempt to answer in the post show today. So we'll move on to the uh, to the to the Grand Prix we've uh, we've just witnessed just over an hour ago. Uh, just your general thoughts on on what we saw from Spain. I'll start with you, Aaron. Normally a bit of a bit of a, a dull race, but strategy definitely coming into play. What's your kind of overall first impressions of the Spanish Grand Prix? It was really enjoyable, actually. Um, it, it just swung from pillar to post. You, at one point, I didn't know where to look next, and I was trying to sort of live tweet um, the race. And it got to the point where my, I, I couldn't type properly because my hands were shaking because there was so much excitement. Um, and it kind of banished all of those memories of Miami to the past, which was great. And that, that's a really good pick-me-up for, for Formula One. We needed a race that had a little bit more excitement and maybe jeopardy. I mean, maybe for the championship, it's, you could argue, yes, Leclerc retiring is, is good for the championship, but then you also don't want the, the top guys not finishing but that, that said it doesn't uh, leave anyone way out of the picture anymore but overall it was it was really enjoyable there was a storyline at the front there was storylines in the middle there was comeback drives there was collisions there was a little bit of controversy there was team orders there was everything you know you had all the ingredients it was really really good fun Excellent. I look forward to hearing your driver ratings on five red lights on that one or your uh, and your your race ratings as well. That's going to be an interesting listen. Uh, Sophia, your thoughts on what we've just seen? I have to hold my hands up and apologize for everybody who was listening or has listened to yesterday's podcast with me slating how boring <laughs> today was going to be. It was enjoyable. Like it was crazy because like one minute I had to like turn away from my TV and then next thing I know Bottas was like from P6 to P3 like the amount of pitch strategies the collisions all throughout the race you just didn't know where to look and even like looking at articles now you're seeing information that came in that was not even mentioned throughout the race and it, it was such an interesting one again I thought it was going to be a snooze fest but and I even made a coffee to try to stay awake before the race just in case but overall, it was a great race and definitely what we needed, again, as Aaron mentioned, for Miami. But now we got Monaco down the end. But overall, it was a great race. You just didn't know where to look. Way to bring us down by mentioning Monaco. But uh, you never know. We're in, we're, we're in real danger of actually starting to rate the Spanish Grand Prix. It was a decent race. Uh, what's your thoughts, Tom? Any, any controversial takes or you have the same opinion? Um, the race itself was good, obviously, you know, you know, but uh, it was through some misfortune of Leclerc retiring and then, then you know, obviously Max with the DRS issues. Um, 
But I stand by what I said yesterday that the, that the track is not is does not condone good wheel to wheel racing. Um, we didn't see that much of it today. You know, a, a lot of the overtakes we saw were people doing DRS moves into turn one. Um, so the race itself was entertaining. It was entertaining because obviously there were three different changes for the lead. A shame to see Leclerc retire. I'm also happy to see Max win. Bit controversial how it was done. It reeks of Austria 2002. Um, but um, but yeah, but it, it was it was a good race. But that was the the last time we even had a remotely interesting race in Spain was 2016, which is when Verstappen won, and that was only interesting because both the Mercs took each other out. Max won his first race in F1. That's the only reason that was interesting. All the races between then and now have been pretty mediocre if not pretty boring. So good race, track sell, awful. Well, yeah, this is the first time we've been here in these new regulations uh, and certainly it doesn't seem to have energised the track with regards to wheel-to-wheel racing. And uh, I, I disagree. I think last year's race was a good race, but generally it all comes down to strategy and having these multi-stop races is, is what makes Spain good. So hopefully more of that. But you touched on it before, Max Verstappen. I'll go straight to you, Aaron. Talking about our race winner, Max Verstappen, uh, start, started second, converted to a win, uh, Leclerc retiring. Pretty straightforward race for him, wasn't it? You'd think so, but it, it wasn't. I mean, he had that that off on lap nine where he, he went into the gravel at turn four. And he was lucky to escape, as was uh, Carlos Sainz, because um, we saw a couple of F2 cars get stuck there over the weekend. So he kind of got he got out of jail free, he used one of his uh, nine lives, because for you cat lovers out there, uh, he used one of his nine lives to get out of jail and, it got him the win. So, yes, it was it was a good result. But I think the way in which it's come about leaves a little bit to be desired. There was a little bit of a tantrum because of the DRS. He was supposedly mashing the button as though it was a, a PlayStation controller. Xboxes are available or Switch. Um, but it, it, this is what we see from Max. Like When things sort of go off the rails a little bit, we do see him his frustration levels go from zero to a hundred in an instant, which he does need to get a handle on because I think Martin Brundle mentioned it in commentary when he drives angry, it doesn't actually help his driving. And if you think back to Mexico 2019, after he'd had the pole position taken away from him, obviously he's doing a lot better now that he's probably a little bit more confident because he's a world champion, but still that, that floor can rear its head, I think. And he got away with it a little bit today because the team helped him out with a good strategy. And then they said to him, just go and drive the wheels off the thing. And if there's one thing Max Verstappen is very, very good at, it's driving the wheels off a Red Bull. So he delivered what was asked of him. I don't think he should have just been allowed to pass Perez. I'd like to see him work for it. I think he'd have still won the race anyway, but I'd have preferred to see him work for it. But in a championship that's going to be potentially very close between him and himself and Leclerc and maybe even the two Mercedes now. That's an important result to just get him into the lead and win the race, take the 25 points and move forward to Monaco. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And uh, looking at the faces of some of the panel during that whole conversation, that, that was that was entertainment enough. Uh, yeah, so uh, he's taken the lead in the championship. He's He's got it by the scruff of the neck now. The, the Red Bull seems like it's the car to beat. Ferrari keeps self, keep imploding. 
you know, we could we could may well see Mercedes as the team that's going to be challenged them, which nobody would have thought to say a couple of weeks ago. But uh, Sergio Perez's teammate capping off a second a second one two for for the Red Bull team this season. Uh, a strong race from him. Team orders would he have won that race, Sophia, or or was it always going to be Verstappen's win? I think it's tough to say because obviously they both had different strategies going into the race and even during the race. Obviously, it was said in the middle of the race that Perez might have even tried a one-stop strategy. Wasn't the case. Um, even his post-race interviews and everything, the discussion about team orders and a lot of the conversation that he wants to do now offline with the team about why things happen. He said that he's happy for the team, but with the one-two. And I don't know. I just feel like... I think Max would have won no matter what, just because he had a better strategy than Perez. But I think how Perez took some of the orders and the way that was kind of conveyed, I think was not the best. Mind you, again, it was the reverse a few times with Perez trying to attack and overtake a few times. So like it was kind of even in some cases, but it was still more a little bit leaning to Max heavy kind of uh, racing. But he did well. Tire management as well was great for him. Um and he came second, moved up some points as well for it, helped the team overall in the Constructors' Championship. But it's going to be interesting what we're going to see going into Monaco. I still don't think team orders should be a thing right now, especially for the two Red Bulls. I think we need at least another two or three races, or maybe one if one driver does not finish. But yeah, I think it was just a little bit too early to start initiating the team orders, for sure. I think certainly given the... Verstappen was in a position where he was already gaining 17, 18 points on Leclerc as it was. Uh, it, it did seem a little bit, uh, a little bit tough to take. Certainly, from a, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying it was Austria two thousand and two, as Tom mentioned earlier, but uh, certainly it was. Uh, it, it certainly wasn't sporting in that sense. And given that he was earlier in the race, he was told to stay behind Max when he was the quicker car uh, to then. Uh, being that Max to be in the same situation and Max not been given the same privilege, it certainly does. Uh, it, it it doesn't sit right with me, definitely. But uh, but Tom, we'll move on to uh, to Red Bull. I promise. Uh, in the post show, I'll give you a chance to talk about your your beloved Red Bull. But uh, <laughs> but for now, uh, your your much hated Mercedes team, the, uh, the the Sith Lord Lewis Hamilton and his moth target of George Russell. George Russell uh, coming home in third place. There uh, started fourth. <laughs> Bit of a thank God for George in that middle part of the race there. Once Verstappen had uh, had taken it off track and ended up behind Russell, uh, very very glad for him to be in the race because it really was kind of uh, it, where all the action was. How how did the race pan out for you for George? Uh, I thought George had a brilliant race. Yeah, you know, he got his elbows out at the start. He put his car there on merit, um, and yeah, he he held the position. Um, some of his defending against Max it struck me a bit of what Max was doing in sort of 2016, um, notably when Max had a couple of rather rather iffy moves in the breaking zone. Um, there were one or two that Russell did going into two one, which I was a bit surprised didn't get picked up on. Um, but, you know, but, but it didn't. Um, and Max ultimately won, so ha. Huh? Um, also, um, yeah, also there, there was one where, um, where Max... Max got round George and then going round sort of going round two and two, then into two and three. But Russell really sort of kept the car right on the limit. You know, I, I'm I'm nice cat. I'm I'm still I'm still unsure if in my mind if it was hard racing, which is what we've been after, or if it was 
running in, running Max out of track. He didn't push Max into the gravel, but the gravel doesn't start directly on the white line. So I don't know. Take take from it what you will. Um, but also, you wouldn't expect George to just go. Oh, okay, Max. Yeah, fine. Go on. You've overtaken me. Off you go. You know, he's a young driver. You know, he wants to not assert his dominance, but he's sort of, you know, he wants people to realise that look, I'm here. If you want the position, you're going to have to come and work for it. You might have pushed Lewis off last year. You're not going to push me off this year. And that's exactly what he did. Um, and for Max, I don't think he's had that sort of kind of bite back before. Um, you've got a jungle gym or something in your house, Tom. Um, I don't know. He's, he's he's having a bit of a crazy few minutes. He's leaping and <laughs> keeps missing the printer. So he's falling off. <laughs> yeah. YouTube audience, go and have a look at this. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But no, um, yeah, no. Um, yeah, it was a good race from George. And I think maybe Max has realised that he's not the only one now on the grid who's in one of the top teams who will get his elbows out and put his car where other people wouldn't expect people to put their cards. Um, n- not in the sense that he's met his match, but in the sense that, um, that that there's someone else who is... It's not dirty racing, but it's very, very hard racing. And I think it's good. I think it's good for the sport. I think it's good for the spectacle. I also think it's good for Max because he realises... You know, bear in mind, I say that as a Max fan, he realises that he can't continue to push people off like that. And he's getting a taste of his own medicine a bit. Yeah, I think certainly there was. Uh, it was very borderline. A lot of the defending. There was certainly one on Perez, and then the one when he when he pushed Verstappen, not completely off the track. He he left him slightly less than the car's width for a fraction of a second, and then quickly moved back across to give him the space once he'd already allowed him to leave leave the uh, leave the track. So it was certainly borderline, but uh, nothing picked up in the end. And so long as we're having that consistently throughout the season, I'm I'm all fine with it. It's it, it's hard racing, and uh, you know, no harm, no foul. If there was gravel there. Then it would have been over the line, absolutely. But uh, there was no, no issues there, I don't think. But uh, so, certainly on the edge. But uh, moving on to to the the, the top of the Ferrari drivers, uh, Aaron, we we saw Carlos Sainz starting third, bad start, and then uh, and then recovering to fourth after an early spin. Um, top driver in the team is the, cha- the team now getting behind him now. Uh, I, I jest, of course. What's your thoughts on on Carlos Sainz? Is that his his chance over now for the championship? Yeah, I think it has to be. And uh, I have wanted Carlos to deliver this season because he is a fantastic driver. His whole career, he's kind of been overshadowed by someone else. When he joined Formula One with Toro Rosso, everyone was talking about Max Verstappen. When he moved on to Renault, he was partnered with Hulkenberg and everyone was like, oh, we want Hulkenberg to get that podium. And then he joined McLaren and... Obviously, it's a British team, and then they had a British driver in Lando Norris, who's the next big thing. And obviously, Carlos did really, really good things before moving on to Ferrari. But again, everyone seems to rate Charles Leclerc higher. And at the moment, Leclerc is proving why. And today was just another another page on a really unraveling story for 2022 for, for Carlos, because he didn't quite get on the front row when he probably could have then he made another poor start then he went off he did recover well but by that point you know the damage was done if he had not gone off the track he would have been able to win that race today I don't think he would have been able to hold Verstappen back but he would have certainly been there in the way and been able to do something to to save Ferrari's blushes because 
if you, if you, as we're seeing with Perez, if you're an effective number two driver, even if you want to be the number one, you need to be there to pick up the pieces. And the one time that Verstappen had an issue in 2021, Perez was there to pick up the pieces in Azerbaijan. This year, if Ferrari want to be constructors champions and they want one of their drivers to win the championship for the drivers, science has to do that. And that's as much for the team as it is for himself, because if he wins the race today, it's his first win. It's the monkey off his back. And all of a sudden we might see Carlos completely unleashed. But at the moment, we're going to see this pressure build on him and that first win. When's that first win coming? Is it going to be here? Can he win in Monaco? Can he win somewhere else? You know, it, it just becomes this, it's almost Hulkenberg-like story, except he's got podiums. It's for a victory. He needs to break that that duck and he needs to do it quickly. Today is a good recovery, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not good enough because it's fourth place when Red Bull have picked up a first and second. Yeah, and Red Bull now in full control of the Constructors' Championship as well, which given how much unreliability they've had is uh, is a little bit disappointing. And, and Ferrari certainly seeming to be uh, be Ferrariing themselves at the first part of the season, whether it be the drivers or the, or the team. They've they've had the best car for sections of this season, but uh, but they've not been able to translate that into a dominant position or they had but they seem to have thrown it away but uh moving on to the uh to to lewis hamilton then then sophia uh, on uh, on lap one he was what 50 seconds behind his team leader once he came out with his with his fresh tires he was up to nine seconds behind george russell uh, in the closing stages before those lift and coast issues where he had to he had to call the car down as did george and obviously surrendering that position to, to carlos Sainz. uh really strong performance from lewis hamilton it really feels like he's he's back and you know at the end of lap one when he was talking about potentially retiring the car it's a it's a hell of a uh, hell of a recovery what's your what's your thoughts on lewis hamilton today I mean, the comment straight away, the minute he goes off the track with the issue with Kevin Magnuson, he just wanted to be done, save the engine, save everything. And when his, I think it was Bono was on the radio saying, no, we're still in it. You can get P8, like going to the points. I think I was like, ta- uh, like chatting in the everything F1 group. And I was like, surely they're not being serious. that This is actually going to be possible, especially again, Barcelona, not known for overtaking, not known for moving up spaces, but Today's race for both F1, F2, and F3 have proved that that is possible on the track. But I don't know, it just put a sour like taste in my mouth about like how he has been. He is not, he came into before the race all happy, cheerful, everything. And then like as soon as it went tough, he was ready to give up. And I, I just feel like that's not okay as a driver, especially in a sport that's so visible and so talked about. So many different fans. It, I don't know. Like he's always been told like that he will always push through the hardships, go through all the ups and downs. And then for him to say that he wants to kind of give up because he's like in the bottom too. I don't know. It just wasn't the best. But then obviously different pits, the different strategies. It, it was once he got his head down and actually put in the race work and everything, it, it proved to be a lot better. And then obviously with the cooling system, no fault through his own because both Mercedes were having the same issue. We saw it being announced through George, I think like lap five or something like that. So they had it for a lot of the whole race, but <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I'm not a Mercedes fan. I'll say that right now. Um, but I think just the way that Hamilton had reacted to this race 
and he had some good moves and everything and uh, good overtakes trying to move up from the pack and such. But he finished P5. I mean, it, it adds more value. It helps Mercedes now come into content as constructors. He's now P6 in the Drivers' Championship with George in P4. So they are assigned to battle it out. And I also think the filming day that they did in Paul Ricard last week as well, they had 100 kilometers that they could use for testing. And apparently that's where they sorted out their porpoising or looked to sort out their porpoising, which I think was very crucial to Barcelona for this test. Because if they didn't sort it out here, I think it's just going to be an ongoing issue throughout the entire season. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's a pivotal, pivotal weekend for Mercedes. If this weekend they they didn't have the pace, then I think it would have been game over for the season. But uh, it was there. And uh, from a, as you say, you're not not a Hamilton fan. From someone who is a Hamilton fan, I also was very disappointed to hear what he said. However, I fully understand. Like. I really wanted to see how that medium strategy, starting on the medium tiles, was going to pan out. Um, I think there was a potential there for a two-stop that could have paid dividends, and I was very disappointed to not see how that strategy was going to pan out. And I just think that, I mean, he, it came across badly over radio, and I do think it, it's something that um, we uh, is disappointing to hear. But I think from another side it's him always looking at a championship situation and thinking well if i'm going to be driving around here putting you know you knows that the engine's going to be running hot is it worth risking this engine for something that's going to end in no points is it better that i just retire the car um, and then when they said no he's then got on with it and and produced a brilliant performance so um, i can i can understand it it was definitely disappointing to hear and i know it's going to rub a lot of people up the wrong way but uh, i i can understand it from from that perspective so that's a bit of a balanced argument for, for those of you before you start uh, adding F1 Chronicle saying that we're all uh, Max Verstappen fans because uh, we're not uh, all of us but we all, we all appreciate a, uh, a, a good race and, uh, and a good sportsman but um, Valtteri Bottas his teammate from last year then Tom uh, you get all the good ones today Valtteri Bottas started 7th finished 6th uh, and the, his 2 stop strategy left him a little bit exposed uh, bit, a bit of an average race for him really after some very good ones yeah, I thought Bottas was on for a much better result, but um, unfortunately his strategy didn't do him any favours. And we saw it that when both Mercs more or less just cruised past him at the end. Um, I think it was when Russell went to overtaking, you could see that Bottas's car was losing grip of the rear quite badly. It was, just, it was almost skating over the road. So, yeah, so the strategy did him a bit dirty there. Um, I don't... For, for, for me, I don't think that race result tells the whole story um, because he was right up there for a while. Um, and if, you know, if if Alpha would have got the strategy right, he, he he'd have been okay. You know, he'd have been okay. He'd have definitely been P four, possibly P three. Um, although we'd know what happened last time he tried to fight with Russell for a uh, for a place. Um, so, yeah. So um, yeah. So. Yeah, you know, I, I think if if you look at it on paper and you see that he went, he started P, he started what P, he qualified P, was he P six or P seven? He started sorry. seven, finished sixth. Sorry, seven, finished sixth. Yeah. So if you look at that, you might go, oh well done, you made it one place. But if you look at how you know how he actually sort of got done a bit dirty by strategy, um, it does doesn't tell the whole story, and he's doing better than people realize. And most of the point, Bottas in himself. I said this yesterday, he just looks happy, looks relaxed. Um, and again, I'm, I'm going to slightly repeat what I said yesterday. But I think it's because he's now the out-and-out number one driver 
in the team. He's got a multi-year contract. He's got, you know, he's got the backing of the team behind him. He's not looking over his shoulder every season thinking, if Russell coming from my seat, this or that or the other. Um, he's not thinking, am I going to get a contract for next year? He can relax into the team, set some foundations, and that's exactly what he's done. Um, it just so happens that the Ferrari Power unit is an absolute demon this year, as we've seen with all the Ferrari Power teams. So that's obviously helped quite a bit. But yeah, he just looks rejuvenated, um, which is what I think a lot of us have wanted to see from him for a while. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's it's nice to see him sort of like right sort of right back there. Yeah, it was it was disappointing to see that once again when a Mercedes was coming behind him, he started making mistakes as well. There was a few wide moments, so I don't know if he's got something mental about about those Mercedes coming up behind him. And and but uh, but a, a strong result nonetheless, and and by far the stronger of the two Alfa Romeos once again. Um, someone else who was the, the strongest of their teams, Esteban Ocon, the second favourite Alpine driver in Spain today, without a shadow of a doubt. But uh, the best on track. Um, given his starting position and his finish position, managed to climb five places to seventh. Alpine looks looks strong today, Aaron. What, what, did, what were your thoughts? Yeah, they they performed really well. I mean, Alonso uh, maybe underperformed in qualifying, um, and I'd have expected Ocon maybe to be in the top ten, but for him to be twelfth uh, was probably about par. But their race pace is generally very good. They seem to go very well over a longer distance. Um, Esteban, again, finishing ahead of Alonso. I know Alonso had to start from the back, but you know you, you can only finish from what you start with. And Esteban is picking up those points really regularly. I think, he, has he scored at every race? That, that might be wrong. I would have to check, but it's certainly, I think he might have done. I think he might, he might have done just like a few odd points here and there, uh, unless he. I don't know if he scored at Imola. That's the one. That's the one I think he didn't score at. Um, but yeah, he's driving really, really well. The only issue I have with Ocon is he doesn't seem to be able to tap into the Alpine and unleash the insane speed that Alonso seems to be able to. But for a midfield team to be having a driver who regularly picks up points, that is really crucial because. You know, we know how crazy that midfield battle can get. And we're seeing Alfa Romeo have uh, a driver drop out in the last couple of races. Alfa Tari don't pick up many points at the moment. Um, you know, Aston Martin, what are they doing? We'll probably cover that a little bit later on. Um, so for, for Alpine, if they want to be challenging with McLaren and with the rest of the upper midfield, then... To be having that points tally ticking over is really handy. And for Esteban, not only for himself to be doing that, that is really, really important for the team. It builds confidence from the team within Ocon as well, that he could be the man to lead the team forward in the post-Alonso era. But Ocon will have a problem if Piastri jumps in that seat next year and starts to outperform him. Um, again, though, that's, that's speculation. But another good performance overall for, for Esteban because you can't do really much more than that in the midfield because the top five positions were locked down by faster cars. Yeah, it was another steady Eddie performance from him. And, and I've said before that Fernando Alonso only picking up a few points here and there and, and Ocon just seems to be steadily getting the points. It's 
it's what Alpine need him to do, but um, they need Alonso to start getting those uh, those headline results that they're expecting from him. Um, just had it confirmed that yes, it is. Uh, it was 14th for Ocon in Emilia-Romagna. Uh, is the only race he hasn't scored points in. Russell, the only one who scored points in every race, and indeed top five in every race as well. But uh, um, one of his one of his friends, Lando Norris, the uh, the youngster, had a very quiet race. But to be uh, to be honest, it's to be expected given that he he missed the national anthem. He didn't do any interviews. He's very ill. Straight to the medical centre, Sophia. Uh, Lando Norris, a bit a bit of a hero's performance today. Yeah, I mean there wasn't that much. I don't think there was actually any kind of commentary or any kind of comments about McLaren for both Ricardo and for Norris. In my opinion, it was just more. Head down racing, get on with it, do your job. And touching on about the fact that he um, missed the national anthem, went straight to the medical office. Apparently, he's been testing negative for COVID, even during PCR tests and advanced testings. But he still has all the symptoms. So apparently, that's going to be something to watch. But um, I think Andreas gave a thumbs up to Ted in uh, his notebook saying that he's all right. So hopefully, he'll be good in time for Monaco. But yeah, the fact that he finished P8 as well, because I think he was starting what? Let me pull up on my notes. He started P11 um, on the grid and moved up to P8. Mind you, obviously, we had one retirement within that difference. He did quite well, and especially because he was complaining like his throat was hurting, his eyes were all stuffy and everything. He, he did a good race, kept his head down, no issues, no hard racing, no kind of causing colli- uh, collisions. Just a good race for McLaren, good weekend for McLaren to an extent. Yeah, certainly a good weekend for him. And uh, we'll move on to to Fernando Alonso then, Tom. Um, started 20th, the homeboy hero. He's got that engine in the pool now, which is going to help him for later in the season. And he's still recovered to double his entire t- points total for the season. So uh, pr- pretty strong in the end uh, for, from Fernando. What's your thoughts? Yeah, um, I voted him driver of the day because he was, um, you know, to, to come, come from last to, you know, to... So in the points, yes, okay, he had a new engine which would have helped him a bit, but you know that's not the be all and end all. Um, I do think it, some of the moves he pulled into turn one. Obviously, there are a lot of fans around there. I do think a lot of it was very Alonso-esque in the sense that he pulled up very late and you know, make, you know was very very late breaking. I think it's put on a bit of a show to people, but the Spanish love him. He loves you know he loves the Spaniards, um, especially when Carlos Sainz was. Once again, awful this weekend. Um, you know, yeah. So, um, so yeah. Um, Alonso, good weekend. Um, good. I mean, I don't know if you call it a recovery drive, but good drive through the field from twentieth to to sort of P ten. Benamati did that in an Alpine, which after quality, none of us thought we're gonna, was going to be that good a race car. Um, yeah, he, he, I was really impressed with Alonso today. Um, yeah, you're putting some really good moves. You know. Down into turn one, yeah, just a just a good good day in the office for him. Yeah, it was one of the one of the more uh, one of the more sort of private performances that that he had. Not not the uh, not the fireworks. He wasn't uh, on the on the radio telling everyone how amazing he was this weekend, which is quite rare for him. But uh, but Yuki Tsunoda, Aaron, he he's gone thirteenth to tenth place. He's managed to get a point. Some good overtakes there and a decent run to points. Do you think this car suits him more than Pierre Gasly or certainly more than last season? I heard that mentioned a little while ago. I think it was Imola. Someone suggested that because they drive a little bit more like a Formula 2 car, they would suit Yuki a little bit better. I don't know whether that's 
behind his successes. Maybe he's just eating a bit better and working a bit harder in the gym, um, which would definitely help your performance. So it's it's an interesting suggestion that the car generally in its design suits him a bit better. But then we know what Pierre Gasly can do. I think maybe he's just having a bit of a, a rotten run at the moment. But then take nothing away from Yuki. He's delivered a point today, um, some tidy overtakes. I didn't really see much of what he was up to. I think I saw him overtake... I think it was I think it was Mick Schumacher actually. He overtook late on for that tenth place, and you could just hear everybody on Twitter their hearts breaking for Mick again, um, unfortunately. But that, that's good progress for Yuki because last year he would have been throwing it at the wall and getting out of the car and looking at it in P seventeen or eighteen and going, "What am I supposed to do with this?" while Gasly was up in P5 or 6. So for him to be turning the tables this year is really, really important for his development because obviously he wants to have a longer career in Formula 1. And it's it's good because it keeps Japanese driver, it keeps Japanese interest, and it'll be interesting to see how he develops from here and if he can continue building on this. And when the car comes a little bit uh, closer to the top of the midfield, how can he handle that? Is there that progression still because we're seeing him snipe these points now, which is good. But can he take that onto the next level when the car allows him to? Yeah, it's, it, that's going to be interesting to find out. And he seems to be matching his performances from last year, whereas Gasly has gone from qualifying and finishing P5 to finishing out of the points. So that's whether it's it's the it's the car or uh, whether Gasly's having an off season or whether Snowden's got his act together, but he just doesn't have the machinery that he had last year. Um, who knows? But we'll, we'll find out as. Uh, Let's say we're only done six races out of what is now a 22 race season, so uh, I'm sure we'll find out later on. Sebastian Vessel, though, Sophia, she's um, he's he started 16th um, and then he's moved up to 11th. He's the only driver to have made a two stop strategy work today. So, um, what was it like in the third Red Bull today for him? <laughs> yeah, the green Red Bull. Uh, <laughs> um, to be fair, it was quite interesting because yeah, he was the last one to pit. I think it was like 28 laps, something like that. It was quite. I th- very long and it worked I mean again moved our five spaces yes obviously he didn't finish in the points but it was still good for Aston Martin given all the controversy and, um, and issues that's been having uh, with the discussion with Red Bull again apparently Helmut Marco has evidence I doubt it I think he's just chatting um, nonsense um, <laughs> so it might be might come into play in the next couple of days and then obviously Red Bull throwing the shade with the green um, Red Bull cans but yeah, it was quite good. And I think he didn't have the upgrades as well this race. I think Lance had the upgrades because I think they were doing one car, like major upgrades, one car not. Um, but again, another head down clean race for him. No issues, no collisions, no problems. Strategy worked. Again, like you mentioned, <laughs> the two-stop strategy that actually worked for him. Um, but good. I so close he was quite close to Yuki in some cases maybe try to battle for that missed last spot for the points but overall it was a good race for him for Aston Martin for sure 
Yeah, I think potentially that the best thing that Aston Martin could have done today was not been quick because that would have, certainly would have highlighted things a little bit more. I I, I said after qualifying maybe they uh, they won't be they won't be uh, putting in a protest about the Aston Martin design given how slow it was. But another person who was uh, who was fairly slow as well, Tom, is is, is Daniel Ricciardo. Bit of Mr. Cellophane today. Didn't really you know didn't really see him. He just he wasn't even there. Uh, same same old questions of, of performance for Daniel Ricciardo. And, Starting ahead of his teammate who was feeling unwell, it was a good opportunity for Daniel to push ahead and, and start his season from here. But once again, he's he's drifted off into obscurity. No points and no real pace. <sighs> the oh, sigh. Danny the Tom Downey sigh. Oh, God. Danny Ray. It's just not working, is it? Yeah, he's, he's, I didn't realise how many starts he's made in F1. He's well over 200 now. His time's up. Today was today was the if if you wanted to put Danny Rick's season into one race, this weekend was it. You know, you got 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 into you're just about going to Q three, qualified ahead of his teammate because his teammate had you know had a lot of time deleted, and then fell out the points again. How many times? I mean, it's just, I don't even know what to say anymore. He's just, you know, he's just, he's just, he's just not the same. I, you know, he's just, I don't know if it's, he's not gelling with the braking or if he's not gelling with the, you know, with, with the way the car turns in or where the car exits the corner. I don't know. But he's, he, he just, he, he just, he just can't, he just can't get a handle on that car and he just doesn't look confident in it. And it's just, it's time to, there are too many people waiting in the wings at, um, uh, at um, well, all, all, diff- all different teams in, in F1. You've got people like Oscar, Pia- Oscar Piastri, you've got people like Nick De Vries. Um, you, you know, you've got a, a plethora of drivers in F2. You know, you've got some people who won F2 who, who, could, who could be in a seat in, in F1. And yet, you know, the McLaren isn't the absolute top car on the grid, um, it's arguably further down the grid than it, than it was last year. But there are a lot of people who would be very willing to take that seat and perhaps do it the justice it deserves. Yeah, it, it seems to be something that's dragging on and on. And and I am one of Daniel Ricciardo's biggest, <laughs> biggest apologists. But even I'm trying to find reasons now to, to justify his, his seat. And I, I said at the start of the season, there was a chance that he might not get his third season renewed. Um, I mean, it, it is a contract. Whether there's options in it, I don't know. But uh, when you've got... As you say, so many great drivers waiting in the wings, and McLaren have seemingly got links with both Pato Award and Colton Herta. And when you know America really needs an, an American driver in Formula One, I know Pato Award's Mexican, but but even so, th- those links are very strong indeed, and it's certainly worrying if if uh, if Andretti don't come into Formula One, then there could well be a situation where Colton Herta does end up replacing him or or indeed Pato Award, which is is really sad for for someone who not that long ago was rated as Autosports Driver of the Season, uh, best driver in the world uh, across all categories. So. That's uh, that's very difficult to see uh, from a from a Daniel Ricciardo fan, but it certainly isn't going the way we want it to go at the moment. Um, Pierre Gasly, another driver whose season just doesn't seem to be getting started. From we're used to seeing him really 
you know, really banging the performances and he's just had a very quiet year and it doesn't seem to really be any reason for it. I, I know he tagged Stroll earlier in the race and got a penalty as well. So, so Aaron, how do you rate Pierre Gasly's, uh, Pierre Gasly's race today and indeed his season? Uh, so just mentioning on that uh, collision, I've just checked the AlphaTauri uh, Twitter and they said that he'd picked up uh, damage on his front wing on the opening lap. So maybe that contributed to his collision, although it did just appear like he didn't turn away enough from the Aston Martin. Um, he picked up the five-second penalty damage and then finishing outside the points while his teammate does get a point. Kind of the story of Pierre's season, really. This was supposed to be the season that he became, well, he continued to be the next big thing in terms of going into a top team, whether he could win back that Red Bull seat. Um, but I think that's gone now. All the top seats look like they're locked down. He's going to be stuck at AlphaTauri again next season. Um, it's just not panning out for him, which is, it's really strange. I, maybe because like we touched on with Yuki, maybe the design of these cars are just different for him and they're suiting Yuki a bit better, and he's just not able to get the most out of it. I mean, he's not alone in not being able to get the most out of these cars. I mean, even seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton is struggling, so I think we can cut Pierre some slack. But it is concerning because we know what Red Bull are like, and with Alex Albon performing minor miracles in the Williams from time to time, could it be a Sonoda-Albon partnership at the expense of Gasly who drops off the grid altogether instead of Gasly joining another team in the midfield or someone else and Gasly maybe even disappearing out of the sport completely for a season? But, okay, that, that that's quite drastic. But if this keeps up, we know just how savage that Red Bull programme can be and they're not afraid to do it. They, they will wield that axe with full force if they have to. Yeah, it's it would be a travesty if Gasly were to drop off drop off the calendar, and I'm sure somebody would pick him up, especially if Williams are looking for a new driver. Albon has, has said that his contract is a Williams contract for this year, but there are still links to Red Bull. So it's uh, there's I, I'm sure that if Red Bull said that they wanted to bring Albon back, then you know the the gift of Gasly would be a a, a gift well received for for Williams. So um, I'd like to think that he would at least get a, get a drive in Formula One. But I think you're right. I think his chance in the top team has gone now. I think he he had his shot, he blew it, and regardless of how good he's performed, it's very rare you get a second chance at a top team. Perez, the only obvious exception to that rule um mick schumacher though uh, started 10th and yet again the wait continues for this first point sophia he's 14th place today has to look strong at times but neither mick or kevin could really maximize the result today oh god there goes my ball prediction that i made yesterday like, i said both house are going to be in the points and to be fair um, oh, who was the one that was one of the guys I mentioned about saying that Mick will bottle it and not finish in the points? Fair play to y'all. Um, yeah, I, it was a whirlwind, like roller coaster. One minute you're looking up and you see Mick in the points, or like in P10, P9, and then he just drops and goes back and forth. Oh, like I thought I had a heart attack with the amount of like <laughs> motions going through everything. But yeah, Mick. Again, the race continues to try to get some points. He's been close now twice. He's had chances twice and has kind of bottled it. 
again, maybe not through his own fault to an extent, um, but I don't know. And I, I'm going to be honest, I don't think he will get quite high in Monaco. So I'll probably give that one a break and then see where it goes for the next couple of races. But yeah, I mean, Haas in general thought it was going to be good, both going into Q3 yesterday and then with the issue with um, Kevin Magnussen and Hamilton dropping down. Yeah, there's a few overtakes that were quite very easy for, like Yuki did a great overtake over Mick, and it just seems so effortless as well, which you would think there'll be some kind of battle, some kind of pressure that Mick would be able to put on, but there's a few instances where it just seemed like it's just an easy overtake, like team order overtake in some sense um, for some of them. But yeah, I guess the race continues to try to get for Mick for some points, but yeah, it just wasn't the best race for him, best weekend, um, in all honesty. No, disappointing. I know there's a lot of people that are desperate for Mick to get those those first points, and uh, and he needs to do it soon. Another driver that will soon be coming under pressure. Uh, but Tom, another driver who probably isn't under pressure, but certainly under pressure from the fans. I, I know you're loving me today for the drivers I'm giving you. Lance Stroll started 17th, finished 15th. Uh, quick spin was all I really saw of him today, and uh, just another kind of meh performance from Stroll. Yeah. Stroll's just, it's just nothing. It's just like, it's just like air just exists. Um, but, you know, <laughs> no, the difference is you need air, but you don't need Stroll. Um, yeah, no, it's just, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the car doesn't help. We know that. But there's just nothing there with Stroll. You know, you know there's no, I'm struggling to even find the words because he just bores me. Um, I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt when he joined him. He's been in F1 since 2017. Um, yes, I know he's got a pole position. He's got a couple of podiums. And that and that that pole position he had in 2020 in Turkey, more of that, please. Because that shows he has some driving skill. You know, because they say the rain is the great equaliser. Well, I mean, you know that 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 speaks for itself. That you know that that pole position. But today, again, just like just give us something. Just you know, you know, just like make you know, just just do a decent overtake and don't spin and don't you know, just don't yeet into people and oh god, just don't be awful like you are. It's like it's just I I I know I'm going in on it now, but I just don't care. Um, if I'm being honest, you know, he's just, he, he's just not particularly good. I know he's, I know he was actually champion, but he jumped into F1 too soon because his dad had money. And now that's why he's gone to the team that he's in because his dad has money. The car doesn't help granted. Um, but he's just, you know, he's, he's just, he's just a bit of a wet fart and he's just, you know, you know, he just, he just, that seat much like, well, not much like, but similar to the, not too dissimilar to the Danny Rick seat. There are people in the junior categories or people who have effectively completed F2, you know, or moved out of F2, possibly Formula E or DTM or something, who were deserving of a crack at, at the highest level of, of motorsport. Stroll's, be, Stroll's in his sixth season, and we know why he's there, and he shouldn't be there. 
and today today again was the epitome of that. He's you know woeful quality, pretty poor race, no points, um, just you know just 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 awful. I think uh, with, with Stroll, he's one of those drivers that uh, has had a lot of time to prove himself as a top driver and has has managed to prove that unlike a lot of us normal people, uh, which I include all of us in, um, you may have different opinions, but he will be able to get a Formula One car to probably 85-90% of its capacity, maybe even 95% of its capacity, which you know 10 years ago would probably put him as a multiple world champion. But in this modern day and age, that doesn't cut it, and he's he's never going to. He's, I mean, a broken Sebastian Vettel is still beating him. So, I mean, that's my opinion. But it just doesn't seem to be like if he gets a fast car, he'll win races, but probably not as much as his teammate ever. No matter who his teammate is, unless they bring back Mazepin. So, it's uh, it's not really it's not really uh, as you say. You just kind of get bored of saying the same thing because it just sounds like you're, you're slandering him. But uh, it's just difficult to find something good to say about him like you say more of what we saw in turkey please because that was by far his uh, his best grand prix so i would like to see him do more of that so we don't get sued uh, for just constantly talking bad about him but come on like show us what you can do you've got the rest of the season to prove yourself but uh we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens long term but um the the uh, and the cat is standing on my keyboard and destroying my notes so i'm just gonna move him well out the way and uh, i have no idea what i was about to say i think i was going to talk about nicholas latifi but my notes have been completely destroyed now so uh i'll move on to you aaron nicholas latifi i don't know what happened to him now because the cat's destroyed my notes tell me <laughs> Uh, well, he finished in uh, 16th, so he probably got a nosebleed from being that far up the order. Um, bless him. But it was a tidy weekend, I suppose, from Latifi. Um, I mean, it says a lot that we're judging his performances by the fact that he hasn't crashed um, or brought out a red flag for any reason. So I suppose... Uh, out of sight and out of mind is a good place for Latifi to be at the moment. He did finish ahead of Albon, but I don't... It, it's, it's another sort of Lance Stroll situation. We know why he's in that seat. Um, he's not the first paid driver. He won't be the last paid driver. There is a good racing driver in there. I think he's just lacking a bit of confidence at the moment. I think the Williams is tricky to drive at certain circuits, and we saw that the Williams didn't have the sort of uh, competitiveness that it showed in uh, Miami. So I'm sure he'll move on and, and learn from it. And maybe towards the end of the season, if the Williams becomes a bit more competitive, we can see Latifi really find his groove again, which would be nice to see because obviously he's a nice guy and we, we always want nice guys to do well. But eventually there's going to be a point where the Williams team have to decide that he's just not good enough. And there are drivers like Nick DeVries. There could be Pierre Gasly on offer. There could be uh, Oscar Piastri available, whoever wins Formula 2 this season. I mean, they've got Logan Sargent in there. And, you know, while we're at it, why not even offer Jamie Chadwick a chance? Because she's clearly far too good for the W Series. And she needs, if, if you're going to get a female driver in Formula 1, you need to give her her time in the car. So if Latifi's not doing the job, you could do worse than put Jamie Chadwick in the car. 
yeah, it's certainly something that uh, I would like to see in a free practice session. Unfortunately, she has nowhere near the super license points because W Series doesn't um, have enough super license points to give her that drive. But she certainly does qualify for a, a practice seat, and then she definitely deserves to be in Formula Three or Formula Two. So it would be it would be good to see to see her get a chance, and certainly as part of the you know, development driver role at Williams, she certainly deserves to at least get a little bit of seat time. It would be good to see for Formula One, and it's it's much nicer talking about Jamie. Chadwick than is talking about Nicholas Latifi. Although this this weekend Latifi's role was, um, uh, he, you know, he comfortably beat his teammate, so that's definitely positive. Um, one person who didn't beat his teammate and uh, had a massive influence on the race, I'll move to you, Sophia, to talk about Kevin Magnussen. Started eighth, finished seventeenth. What happened? I got both of the houses today to talk about. Um, I mean. <laughs> I've said on previous podcasts here and everything F1 podcasts, I support Kevin Magnuson through and through. So happy he is back in F1. This is the first race that he's had that he's not finished in top 10 or close to top 10, I, I believe, off the top of my head. This is probably his worst. This is his worst performing position so far this season. Um, and it was kind of no fall through his own. There was, there was obviously the battle with Hamilton and I kind of saw it happening. I, to be fair, I, it was such early on in the race and there was so much that happened. I, I didn't get a chance to rewatch it and everything. Um, but yeah, this is one of his worst. It is his, one of his worst performing races um, so far, finishing 17th, even though he has finished 16th and 14th a bit in this season. But still, he did some weird strategies. He was the only one that was on the hards for a while. He had about three or four pits as well. Um, I think they kind of just gave up and used it as a, another <laughs> shakedown testing to an extent. Um, had some overtaking a few times, some battles with the two Williams um, throughout the races and everything as well. But yeah, I, it just shows as well. Sometimes with this track, if you have one slip up and you drop down, it's very difficult to make up for it. But the fact that he was able to, from the gravel, still stay on track and complete the complete the race as well still says a lot to how he is as a driver for sure yeah the only driver to fit hards in the race you're right there just part of a a, a very odd three-stop strategy that just didn't seem to work for him um but i mean as as another driver did show you can end up with three drivers showed you can end up in the gravel and still end up in the top five so uh so but it, it's just a very odd very odd race for him really uh, I will get the opinions of you guys on that incident in the post show as well to talk about who's, whose fault that you think it is. Um, Alex Alvin then, Tom, uh, 18th. The red hair certainly hasn't given him any luck today. The only driver to, to finish the race where he started, though, which was last on track. <laughs> yeah, um, I, don't know, I didn't even see anything of Alvin today. It was only when I looked at the timing screen that I realised he was behind the TV. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if that was at the start. I don't know if that was pit stops. Um, I am none the wiser because I legitimately have no idea. I, I didn't even see. Um, yeah, I mean, he'll be disappointed to have been beaten by his teammate, especially as he out-qualified him yesterday. Regardless of who your teammate is, you always want to beat them. They, they always say that that's your sort of, that's your sort of like first not measuring point, but that's your first rivalry to your teammate because obviously they're in the same machine as you. And you know he he got he got himself the advantage yesterday, and it went away today. And he you know he he didn't make use of it, as we saw. So um, yeah, uh, not great for Albon. Um, 
he'd have expected better. I think a lot of us expected better of him or expected more of him rather today. Um, he'll be disappointed with that. Uh, hopefully he can bounce back in Monaco. Um, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I can't really say an awful lot because I didn't, I didn't see him today. Um, it, just, it sounds harsh. And, I, you know, I, I just realised I've sounded incredibly negative this whole podcast. I promise I'm not like that normally. Um, but, you know, but it's, yeah, it's just... just um, just wasn't Albon's day, you know. You know, I, 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 I'm sorry, but I don't even know what strategy or anything, um, anything he was on. So I can't say if it was a, uh, you know, you know, perhaps if he, you know, if the strategy caused a bit off, or if he was, uh, you know, or if he had a slow stop or whatever. But yeah, he's uh, after the highs of um, get, uh, getting a point in uh, in um, probably get a point in Australia after doing that absolute demon strategy where you know where he went all the way until the last but one lap. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, well, Aaron just said he had four stops, so that's yeah, that's not going to help. Um, yeah, shame for him. Hopefully, he'll bounce back and be higher than P, whatever he was, eighteen next week. Well, for someone who left you speechless, you managed to talk about it for quite a long time there. So, well done. We we love you for that, Tom. You'll always find something to say about someone. Uh, another person that my notes for him, uh, Guan Yu Zhou or Zhou Guan Yu in nineteenth, just meh. I didn't see him at all for the entire race. Uh, and then the first time I saw him was when he pulled into the pits. Uh, was there anything that you saw that was worth talking about, Aaron? I saw him retire. That was it. Yeah, Next. that's pretty much what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts on, on him and, and, his, and the season as a whole as well, his, his performances in general? And I know he's had two, two races in a row of bad luck now, but any, any other thoughts on him as a driver this year? I mean, he's performing better than I think many expected. I think, well, the expectation was a new Mazepin, so the bar was set very low. Um, so it wasn't really hard to outperform that. But his first few races have have been respectable. The last couple of races have been unlucky with uh, reliability issues. So maybe once he gets on top of the car, like it's only six races in, and these cars are proving tricky to handle. So. I think maybe give him a, li- a little bit more grace period. And then, yes, he's up against Valtteri Bottas, who is, as Tom mentioned earlier on, completely reinvigorated. If he can sort of hang on to Valtteri's coattails in terms of setup and performance, and the, the points are there for him to-, to pick up because Bottas is showing that the car is capable of it. So uh, Joe just needs a little bit more time and uh, I'm sure the results will come. You're uh, you're more confident in Joe than I am on that one. Uh, I, I'm I'm a little disappointed with with his performances so far, but uh, that's that's not for a discussion today. I don't think I'm sure we'll we'll get into that when I'm a panelist. But uh, moving on to the uh, the former championship leader uh, Charles Leclerc, then Sophia, uh, first to last, strong and in control, and then the Ferrari engine hit. Yeah, watching it back, it just completely cut out. It just came out of nowhere and just. Jumping back with about Guan Yu Zhou, it was the exact same. If you actually look at the video replays, it sounded pretty much the exact same, just cut out. And they're both Ferrari engines as well. So the fact that with Zhou, now this is the second time he's had two DNFs back-to-back for engine failure, engine problems, that's quite an interesting one. But going back to Charles, yeah, like <laughs> the radio, him shouting no all the time, Um he he was just doing his own thing for most of the race. Like nobody was talking about him. You just saw him leading that gap, 
keep on driving and everything. He didn't really have much content, um, any contenders for a while the race, and then all of a sudden you just see him go slow and it just overpass. And it'll be interesting to see what how much of the engine fault it is if we're going to have him with a new engine come Monaco. And again, he's also going into Monaco where he doesn't have the best track record in racing in general. We saw a couple of weeks ago when he uh, crashed Nicky Lotta's, um car through no fault to an extent because it was a brake issue, but he's never finished a race in Monaco. So will we see some new engine changes? Will we see how he goes for it? But yeah, it's just heartbreaking in general. Um, he's doing so well. Yeah, I mean, his that that Monaco record you talk about stretches through Formula Two as well. The two races in Formula Two that he did in Monaco, he retired from as well. So it's uh, it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be hard to to. Well, we we're not gonna want to see that repeat again because if we do, I think we're gonna see Max Verstappen run away with the world championship, and we don't want to see anyone run away with the world championship at all. But uh, but that that concludes the drivers we're talking about for the race. Then very unexpected seeing Charles Leclerc being bottom of the pile, then being spoken about last. So um, I'll go to you, Tom, now to discuss who you think your driver of the day is. I think you've mentioned it earlier. Uh, have you changed your mind from what you've heard, or are you still going with Alonso? No, I still think Alonso is driver of the day. You know what what he did in that Alpine to come from last to uh, to P ten, P nine, P ten. I think he was, wasn't he? Um, I'm not quite sure. In the P9, points, P nine, P nine. Yeah. Either way, he went from from stone dead last to in the points. So yeah, you know, that's got to be driver of the day for me. Okay, fair enough. There was someone else who was way behind him on lap one that finished ahead of him, but we'll, we'll get on to that when it's my drive of the day. Uh, Aaron, your drive of the day, please. Uh, I'm not going to go for the one that you think I'll go for. I'm going to go for George Russell because seeing George... like we, we know Lewis can drive the wheels off of a car and he can come back and all of that. We've seen it all before, even though that doesn't make it any less special or a good drive. But for George, this was a real statement race. No, he didn't win it, but he he laid a marker down against Verstappen. And like Tom mentioned, he didn't allow Verstappen to essentially bully him off the track, um, which Hamilton kind of did last year. And, uh, and Hamilton obviously had a different way of approaching things. But Russell, the first opportunity he got, made sure he, he told Verstappen that he was going to get his elbows out and push him as far as possible. He managed that car home, picked up P3. You know, you couldn't have asked for any more. And I think if you'd offered Mercedes a third place with one of their cars before the weekend started, they'd have grabbed your hand off for it because that with with or without the porpoising being cured, that's a great result. So well done to George Russell. Uh, it's a solid shout, George Russell, for driver of the day. I do, I do completely agree with that, with that logic. And uh, and there was a few good performances up and down the grid there. So lots of opportunities for, for driver of the day. Sophia, are you going to follow in the footsteps of any of our panelists, or are you going to go for someone different? I literally had both of them as like toss ups, but <laughs> I, oh, yeah, between those two, they both have the right reasons to be driver of the day. Russell defending well and just racing good and then obviously with Alonso how much he made up the uh, up the grid both of them really good I, I can't vote I can't choose between the two but those two have my drivers of the day for sure 
Okay, so the deciding vote comes to me. I'm going to go for someone completely different. Um, I, I think, to be honest, Sergio Perez gets a gets an honourable mention. I think he had he had a solid race all round, and it wasn't his fault. But I do think in the end, Max would have passed him for the uh, for, for the win. Um, I think for me, though, it is it is Lewis Hamilton for for me, given that he was. It wasn't his fault that he was punted to the back. His strategy was great. His race pace was great. He was 50 seconds off the lead on lap one. Uh, he was 40 odd, 48 seconds behind George Russell. And then in the end, he was only a few seconds behind him. And then you know, it's only the it's only the last lap where he had to slow off or he where he dropped back and he passed some much much quicker. Uh, or some much, uh, some very strong teammates, and he was, you know, it's not like strategy gave him that either. You know, he he when he came out on lap one, he was on soft tyres, so he had one lap younger soft tyres than everyone else. It's not like he went long on a set of hards that he wouldn't have had the opportunity to put on or anything like that. It was pure pace. So for me, that's why he's my driver of the day. But uh, but you know, this this is uh, I expect everyone else's opinion on that, and there's some really good shouts in there. It was tight. There was four people for me that had a really good shout of driver of the day. So that's it for the for the episode. We will do a bit of a post show and, and discuss a few of the points. And if there's any more questions in the in the YouTube, please uh, please get them in and we'll discuss them. Uh, I'll give you the chance now to just talk about your your social media once again. Uh, Tom and Sophia, you're both you're both on from Everything F1. So Sophia, I'll start with you. Is there anything you want to plug besides Everything F1? Um, I mean, my personal Instagram. If you want to send DM talking about F1, it's Sophia with a PH r underscore 7147 uh, we'll be posting a lot more now on my personal with everything f1 and obviously with grid talk now that i'm joining the teams and being hopefully on some of the podcasts more regularly great just rolls off the tongue that handle that does you <laughs> definitely definitely need a nice handle stick an f1 at the end of it that'd be fine uh tom anything you wanted that you wanted to plug and obviously everything everything f1 as well um no nothing for me personally because i don't have an awful lot of social media myself um but um but in terms of everything of one uh yes we are uh, we're across all your social media platforms so instagram facebook twitter tiktok uh youtube um you can find us either with the handle at join f1 or or some of them are just if you search everything of one you'll find us also our websites everything f1.com where we have race articles quality reviews, race reviews, unpopular opinions, controversial opinions, general feelings, um, and anything else motorsport related that we fancy writing about, to be honest. Um, we also cover the junior series, and that includes W series as well. Um, we're writing more and more around them. And obviously, last but by no means least, we have our Everything Up On podcast, which Sophia and I are, are from. Uh, that's on all your favourite podcasting platforms. It goes out usually on a Wednesday, recorded on a Tuesday evening. Um, we have a we have a wide variety of guests. So we've we've had some we've had some uh, junior drivers. We've had people such as Callum Eilert on. Um, we've we've had some W Series drivers. We've had Jess Hawkins. Um, we've had Abby Eaton, um, and we have many more coming up as well. Excellent. And Aaron, five red lights. Where can we find that? And what is it? Uh, so five red lights is a formula one podcast available on all good podcast platforms and you can find it on youtube you can find uh, me on twitter uh the five red lights one is at five underscore red underscore lights my personal twitter is uh, aaron harper 41 uh you can also find some of my writing on the f1 chronicle website so i've written uh, a race report for today um so you can go and read that um, and obviously give me your feedback because I am 
fairly new to this whole writing game. Uh, I'm also writing for Inside F2, so I'm keeping my finger on the pulse of one of the most competitive series uh, in motorsport. So, uh, yeah, it, it keeps me busy. Excellent. We all love F2 as well. It's, uh, there's some great races in F2. If you don't follow F2 and F3, go check them out. This weekend, not particularly engaging. The uh, I, I don't think the F2 races weren't amazing this weekend. They were good, but they weren't amazing. Certainly the uh, the feature race was good, but the sprint was a little slow. Uh, F3, F3 was good as well. Um, and if you, again, if you want to follow me, I'm at Tom Horrocks F1, uh, and you can get me on Twitter there. And my other podcast, the Monkey Seat Podcast, is at Monkey Seat Pod as well, monkeyseatpod.com. If you want to hear more from F1 Grid Talk, we have a huge back catalogue of shows which you can go back and listen to, as well as reviews, previews and analysis. We also run a fireside chat series, which normally airs midweek and features interviews with laid-back people around, laid-back chats with people around F1. Laid-back people as well. We've had some, we've had some nice, nice, interesting guests on that. Our race shows do go out live on YouTube straight after the event, like today, and we do... Uh, we do post shows with additional free content for the YouTube audience from time to time as well, which we'll be doing today. We also run a Patreon, so if you want to help us and contribute to our podcast and help us help us improve what we do, please consider doing that. Uh, head to F1 Chronicle website to find out more about us and see what we're up to, and we'll, we will be back tomorrow with our Monaco Grand Prix preview. So, see you then. <laughs>